morning, ladies. We've heard all about gifts that we can give our dads for Father's Day, and we look forward to that. And we're continuing our series on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And my topic today is looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Women's Church. We thank you for your Holy Spirit given to us. And Lord, just be with us this day as I do this talk that many people will understand its meaning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there are several ways that I'm going to look at the phrase Word of God today because my topic is Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We've heard so many other topics on the Holy Spirit and power, Holy Spirit and the gift. So it's the Word of God. So firstly, let's look at the term Word of God as Jesus understands it. Jesus first uses this statement for the Bible, the Old Testament he would have had at that time. And another word is scripture. And in John 10, while talking to the Pharisees or Jewish leaders, Jesus said this. He answered them, It is not written in your law, I have said you are gods, as if you called them gods, to whom the word of God came. And scripture cannot be set aside or broken. So there he's using that phrase, the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside or broken. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? So in this reply to the Pharisees, Jesus makes use of two titles which have ever since been used more than any others by his followers, including us, to designate the Bible. The first of these titles is the Word of God, the second is Scripture. So Jesus implies that the origin of the words in the Bible are not with humans, but with God. Many different people have written the words. Uh, Moses wrote some, David, John, Paul, but under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they wrote them. God's own spirit. And in the Apostle Paul, he mentions it. He says in 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, that is, from the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in one of our talks, the word ruah was mentioned. That's the Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit. And it's what is used here. So all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's one mention of it. Another mention we can find in 2 Peter 1.21. It says, for prophecy, or scripture, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, Scripture and the Word is, comes from the Holy Spirit. To illustrate, that's my first point. To illustrate my second point about the Holy Spirit and the Word, let me tell you a story. 
When my son Jacob was 40 months old, and he's now 33, I went into my living room and began praying. Jacob was down for the afternoon nap and I was in the living room. I sought after God. I wanted to be all he wanted me to be. I knelt and prayed. I asked God to please give me time to be with him. So hard sometimes, isn't it, when we have children around us. I asked him to quieten Jacob and keep him in a deep sleep. Because often, just when I was in the middle of my time with the Lord, Jacob would wake and want my attention. I guess you all understand that sort of feeling. That's right. But this time, Jacob slept and slept. So, got the picture? Here I am, quiet before the Lord, and things came into my mind I wanted to pray for. But I didn't have the English words to say. And the Holy Spirit took over and I prayed in my own God-given language. And I knew it was God. And I knew it was what God would have me pray. I prayed for family, friends, the world, and my church. After several minutes, I sat and was led to read my Bible. I felt full of the Holy Spirit, and I was led to read the book of Ephesians. This wasn't the first time I had read or studied Ephesians. But this time, the words left up the page as I read them. The Holy Spirit was illuminating the words in a new way. I had a deep understanding of the passages and the story fitted together in a new way for the first time. And Jesus, Jacob still slept. I read the book right through and I was in a state of elation, gratefulness, thankfulness, repentance, and humbleness all at the same time. God had allowed me a deeper glimpse into who he was and what a sinner I was, saved only by his grace and favour. As I sat in the stillness of that afternoon in my living room, I heard a small giggle noise. Jacob was now awake. Why am I telling you this? Well, the passage from the Bible that was read to us today from Acts chapter 8 shows the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word of God. And he still does that for us today as he did for me when mm. I read Ephesians and as he's done for me many times over the years. But I want to make, want it to be clear, we cannot add to the Bible. The things we say we hear from God must be in accord with the mes message of his written word, the Bible. Yeah. So the meaning of Ephesians was cemented in my knowing or my human spirit by the revelation of Holy Spirit. Many of the talks we have had already have talked about the Holy Spirit being the Ruach HaKodesh, I've already mentioned this. That's the Hebrew word, or the breath of God. So it's kind of like a word, isn't it, the breath? He was hovering over the waters and land at creation in Genesis. He was there with King David, there with Moses, Abraham. And King Saul even had the Holy Spirit taken away from him. So Holy Spirit was there from the beginning 
as God is three in one. Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. My second point then is the fact not only is the Word of God or the Bible written by the <coughs> Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can also interpret it for us. So let's look at the passage read to us today in Acts 8, 26 to 40. I'll just do a bit of background on Philip because it's about Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, Philip's one of the disciples of Jesus and he's also an apostle. Now, back in, in John's Gospel, we read about the calling of Philip as a disciple of Jesus. He was from the town of Bethsaida and two of the other disciples, Andrew and Peter, you may have heard of, were also from the same town. And just before this story in Acts, the Holy, before this, this story and the Holy Spirit taking Philip onto the road from Jerusalem to Gaza through the desert, he was talking about the good news and the kingdom of God to the people of Samaria. Now Samaria is the area in Israel north of Jerusalem. So he's up north and he's talking to them and many people in Samaria believed and were baptised. So now we come to Philip, he's preaching in Samaria, the Holy Spirit tells him to go south to the desert road. Now, what would that be? It, you know, it's, it's kind of like a feeling. He may have, this is just me sort of thinking what he might have happened, but he's probably there, he's finished, he's, it might, he's ended his work, there's not much more, and he thinks, well, what will I do next? Into his mind, go south to the desert road. And he might think, oh, why would I do that? But he thinks, well, that, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm going mm. to do it. So on the way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. And this man was an important official. He had his own chariot he was riding in. He's in charge of the treasury of the Candate. And that's a word meaning queen. He's important. And he's gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his home way home reading the scripture book from Isaiah and we can read that book too it's in the Old Testament Isaiah was a prophet and often told um, prophecies about Jesus who was who was to come so he's reading this this book Isaiah and the spirit tells Philip Go up to the chariot and sort of hover and stay near it. He's probably walking on the road next to it. He hears the eunuch reading the scripture aloud, as this is how scripture was read, was always aloud. He asks the eunuch, do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch replies, how can I? And as someone explains it to me. So Philip is invited into the chariot and begins to explain the meaning of the piece of Isaiah he is reading. He tells him that this message, even though it was written thousands of years before this time, was good news about Jesus. And he tells him that Jesus has been and has died and is resurrected. Mm. And the eunuch, he believes and wants to be baptised. 
and he, he sees some water and he says to Philip, why can't I be baptised now? So he orders the chariot to stop. Then Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptised him. The Bible says then that the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. We don't hear much more about the eunuch but we do hear about scripture and um, Christianity growing in the area where the Ethiopian was from. So let's just look at the story in a bit more detail. The various commentators tell us there is often a reason these stories are put in the Bible that we have. And so why? Why is this one about Philip? Of all the other meetings Philip had with people, why this story? Well, let's have a look. The word Ethiopia here, the way it's used here, is not a person from Ethiopia as we might think. In the New Testament time of Jesus, an Ethiopian was a black African. And Ethiopia referred to all of Africa south of Egypt. This black African then is thought was from an area called Moro or Northern Sudan, which is quite a long way south of Israel. He was a eunuch. What's that mean? A eunuch is defined as someone, usually a man, whose testes and sometimes all his private parts have been destroyed or removed. This leads to sterility and was often done to people who served a queen so there would be no chance of her being unfaithful to the king with one of her servants. So a eunuch in the eyes of the Jewish people was not a full person and as such according to their law in Deuteronomy, which I'll tell you about, they could not worship in the synagogue. They were not allowed in. It's, they had to wait outside to worship. So it says in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, a man with crushed or damaged private parts may not enter the assembly of God. Well, that's interesting. Why would this eunuch travel all the way from Moreau, Sudan, to Jerusalem to worship, even when he couldn't go in the synagogue. It meant he was a religious, God-fearing person. And it didn't matter he could not go directly into the synagogue. It didn't matter to him. He sought God despite the fact that he had heard there was no love for him there. And now he's returning home, trying to figure out what on earth the Isaiah scripture meant. So, the passage that you had read for you today. There's actually two types of conversion implied in this passage. First, the conversion of the black African to Christ Jesus. No longer does the eunuch stand outside to worship. He's allowed in the Holy of Holies the same way Philip and we are by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then there's the conversion in a way of Philip to a new way of thinking, to God's idea that the eunuch 
is included in the church of God. Imagine Philip seeing and hearing the eunuch reading the scriptures. He may well have thought, oh no, not someone unclean, Lord. You want me to talk to him. Philip learns there is a much wider group of people that God planned to include in the plan of salvation. Mm. And we could learn this as well. God includes all groups in his plan of our salvation. Thirdly, another way of looking at the word is to see what scripture says about it. And this is what it says in Hebrews. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In the Jewish tradition, all things were oral or spoken out by word of mouth. And this happens even in synagogues today. And if we look back right in Genesis, we read, God spoke the word into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And God called the expanse the heavens, and so on. God speaks out. He spoke creation into being. This is often called rhema, word of God. Rhema is the Greek meaning of the actual spoken words of God. We don't have another meaning. We just use in our translation just the word, the word of God. But when we look at it in the Greek or the Hebrew, there's two meanings. So at the beginning of John's gospel, we read about Jesus being the word who became flesh and blood. And this links back to the Genesis passage when God spoke out the word. So the Greek word used here, not rhema, like we've had, but logos, or the written language of God. It says the word became flesh. And in the first passage of John, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Was God? He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So Jesus is called the word in the opening verse here in John, because he was the Son of God sent to earth to reveal the Father's mind to the world. So Jesus Christ not only gives God's word to us humans, he is the word, the logos. So that's the Greek for word, is the total message of God to humans. Jesus was that total message. And that that is why he's called the Logos, or Word of God. It is hard sometimes, with English translation from the Greek and Hebrew, 
Because here we have two different words, Greek words that are translated with the same English word. That's the reason I've made this distinction here between rhema and logos. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So here we have that passage in 1 Peter speaking to us again of the word. So two things which are bound together and always found together in strict scripture is mm. the word and the spirit. Yeah. So the topic today being Holy Spirit and the word of God. So both are essential. Yeah. There is no salvation without both of these. In other words, using words again, the Holy Spirit reveals to us who Jesus the word is and we want to know more about him. In conclusion, it is a mistake to emphasise one above the other. There are those who try and follow the word alone, while others say, no, we don't need the word, all we need is the Holy Spirit's guidance. But we need both, because the word is interpreted by the Holy Spirit. And the word became fresh and vital as you look to the Holy Spirit to make Jesus Christ step out of the pages and stand in your presence in living flesh. Mm. You feel the heartbeat of the human Lord who walked on the earth. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to do that. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is identified by the word. A lot of word mixtures. I hope you're following. How do you know what is right when there are so many voices in the world? How can you tell? Only by the word. It is the word that identifies the Holy Spirit. So we must have together the word, Christ, the word, his Bi the Bible, and the spirit for balance and for sanity in our lives. Mm -hmm. So let us pray. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, for sending us your son, Jesus, who was the word made human. And thank you so much for sending us your Holy Spirit to reveal to us who Jesus is. Help us to follow him by your spirit in all we do. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.